Hello there. Welcome to Challenger Approaching, a podcast about the history behind every major franchise featured in the Smash Brothers series. I'm your host, freelance games journalist and author Ben Bertoli. Here on Challenger Approaching, I cover key entries, interesting game details, and fun trivia about a single series. A guest expert or superfan will also be dropping by to give us the lowdown on their favorite game or a moment in the series history that they find intriguing. As always, if I mispronounce a Japanese word or name, I apologize, but I'm trying my best. For our fourth episode, we'll be looking under the hood of one of the most challenging and mind-meltingly fast racing series to ever grace a gaming console. Fire up your hover machine and brace for impact! It's time for the history of F-Zero. The original F-Zero premiered on the Super Famicom in November of 1990. It was one of two launch titles for the system, along with the critically acclaimed platformer Super Mario World. Unlike Super Mario World, F-Zero was developed to showcase a new graphics technique known as Mode 7 Scrolling. Mode 7 was a form of texture mapping that allowed the Super Famicom to rotate and scale pixelated backgrounds, thus creating effects that gave the illusion of three-dimensional depth. F-Zero was developed in a mere 15 months by a small team of nine in-house employees from the Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development Division. The original game puts players behind the wheel of hover machines used for high-speed racing. F-Zero actually takes place in the far-off year of 2560, a time when Earth has had many interactions with extraterrestrials. The wealthiest beings of this time, Satisfied with their luxurious lifestyles, but bored out of their skulls nonetheless, decide to create a new attraction where daredevils from around the galaxy compete in death-defying hover races. The original game manual for F-Zero mentions that spectators were initially angered by the brutality of the races, but eventually they grew used to it and wanted the races to become even more dangerous. Oh future people, when will you learn? The controls in F-Zero were similar to other racing games of the time giving players the option to accelerate, brake, shift their weight, and boost as they flew around corners and over daunting gaps. F-Zero stood out in the 16-bit era because it was fast, really fast. The speed of the game, coupled with the fact that players could damage and completely blow up their hover machines, led to quite a large learning curve for first-time players. For better or for worse, the game's difficulty would be a trait that the series would become known for. Content-wise, F-Zero wasn't the deepest game. Players could only pick from four racers, including bounty hunter Captain Falcon, renegade thief Samurai Goro, the medically trained Dr. Stewart, and alien ex-soldier Pico. The 15 racetracks included in the game's Grand Prix and practice take place on nine different planets, with many of the courses featuring similar settings. The Grand Prix section was split into Knight, Queen, and King classes, each representing a more challenging difficulty. One of the game's biggest flaws was its strange lack of multiplayer modes, something that nearly every Super Famicom racing game to follow would include. Selling well in its first year on the market in Japan, Nintendo included F-Zero in their North American and European Super Nintendo launch lineups in 1991 and 1992 respectively. Though a direct 16-bit sequel to F-Zero was never seen in the West, Nintendo managed to beam two updated versions of the game into players' homes in Japan via the Satellaview. 
What's the Satella view, you might be thinking? Well, it's another innovative and overall unsuccessful Nintendo add-on from the 90s. The Satella view was a satellite modem peripheral that players could attach to the bottom of their Super Famicom consoles. With the Satella view in place, they could download new games, additional content, and virtual magazines right to their systems. Players could even download narrated walkthroughs and full dialogue acting for certain games. It was honestly pretty neat, and far more advanced than most people know. But Satellaview wasn't cheap. Players had to buy the $140 Super Famicom add-on, memory cards, a monthly subscription, and they needed to have a special broadcast satellite tuner in place to pick up the signals from satellite TV station WowWow's satellite radio subsidiary, St. Giga. The tuners alone cost $330, or could be rented for six months at a time for around $50. Either way, it was expensive. Anyway... Two expanded ports of F-Zero for the Super Famicom were released via the Satellaview in both 1996 and 1997. These download-only games were dubbed BS F-Zero Grand Prix 1 and 2. The BS in those titles didn't stand for, uh, that kind of BS, but rather Broadcast Satellite. The games introduced some new tracks, racing machines, and one new league, but kept the gameplay of the original F-Zero. In the March 1997 issue of Nintendo Power, it was noted that the games were under consideration for North American release in gamepack form. Alas, they never were. Speaking of Nintendo Power, the August 1996 issue also gave players a peek into an F-Zero game that would never see the light of day in North America, or anywhere else. Zero Racers was set to become Nintendo's first racing title on the ill-fated Virtual Boy handheld. The game would introduce new racing rockets and tunnel tracks. When the Virtual Boy flopped, Zero Racers was scrapped, and no one has heard or seen anything about it since. Finally, in 1998, F-Zero fans the world over got the official 3D sequel they had hoped for. F-Zero X for the Nintendo 64 had more racers, hover machines, tracks, and modes than its predecessors. Most importantly, it was still fast. Faster than the original Super Nintendo Classic and any other home console title at the time. But F-Zero X's speed came at a price. While players and critics lauded its breakneck intensity, it was hard to ignore the game's somewhat basic and blurry visuals. The first of F-Zero X's new modes was Time Attack. Players would race the clock on an empty track for three laps to try and improve their best times. Second was the mode Death Race, a focus on the new battle mechanics introduced in F-Zero X. Players would attempt to spin and ram their opponents until they were the last vehicle left standing. Last was the highly anticipated Verse Battle, the multiplayer mode that F-Zero fans had waited for for years. Extra content for F-Zero X was released, but you guessed it, only in Japan. Like the Satellaview situation before it, players would be forced to attach yet another wacky Nintendo peripheral to their home console if they wanted to gain access to F-Zero's newest tracks and racers. 
This time around, it was via the Nintendo 64 disk drive, another Nintendo flop that I detailed in the previous Challenger Approaching episode covering Animal Crossing. In a strange twist of fate, the small number of players who went out of their way to buy a Nintendo 64 DD and the F-Zero X expansion kit were treated to some of the best F-Zero features in the series history. The expansion kit allowed players to build their own vehicles, map their own tracks, and even create their own custom cups. Along with these creative options, the expansion also included 12 new race tracks and an updated stereoscopic soundtrack. It's kind of a shame that not many F-Zero fans have ever actually had a chance to play around with such a well-thought-out and innovative piece of software. The year after F-Zero X launched worldwide, players got up close and personal with the game's rarely seen protagonist. F-Zero racer Captain Falcon made his fighting debut alongside 11 other Nintendo All-Stars in the original Super Smash Bros. for the Nintendo 64. No one had ever controlled Captain Falcon outside of his hover vehicle, so his moveset was a pleasant surprise of both speed and power. His showy Falcon Punch and Falcon Kick special moves were soon some of the most iconic attacks in the new Nintendo Brawler. 2001 saw the launch of F-Zero's first handheld entry. F-Zero Maximum Velocity was a launch title for Nintendo's Game Boy Advance. The game featured the same Mode 7 techniques that the original Super Nintendo game had used to give players a pseudo-3D racing environment. While the game was a solid F-Zero outing for players on the go, there wasn't much to set it apart from its 16-bit predecessor. Here to talk about the next bit of F-Zero history, and the entry that he considers to be the best in the series, is games writer and historian Liam Robertson. So, which game will we be talking about today, Liam? It would be F-Zero GX, of course. You know, what better game than that? Uh, I love this game. How do you feel about F-Zero GX, Ben? Uh, you know... Tell I, me. <laughs> I picked it up, uh, I think when it was one of the, like, best-selling games you know when they had like a special like at the end of the gamecube's life there was a, a certain number of titles that had sold really well and they were like kind of in the discount side of things right and uh, that's when i picked it up very fun game I, I have fond memories of playing it with my brothers but we were all pretty garbage at it we were used to mario kart yeah and it just kind of blew us away literally you know there was a lot of crashing and exploding yeah so why do you why do you consider it to be the best f-zero game out there for for so many reasons it's hard to drill down into why exactly i love this game so much but i'll try i think it is mechanically near perfect uh there's so many nuances to the controls it is hard as hell as you say mm -hmm. but you really have to keep with it you have to learn all its little nuances all its little features the um the spin attack you know the i i love this game so much the music is fantastic. It blazes along at 60 frames per second. And I remember seeing it for the first time back, you know, in the GameCube era. And really, there was nothing else like it aside from something like Metroid Prime. I would say was about the same level of, you know, being impressive technically. There are so many games in that era for the GameCube that really blew me away. But perhaps none more so than this because... There's like 30 races, you know, and, and a race at, at the same time as you. 
and it holds that frame rate really well with all these crazy effects on the screen at once and it is you know i think it it captures the sense of speed in a racing game better than anything else i've ever played better than sonic the hedgehog better than i don't know other f-zero games you know yeah, I remember, I remember playing it for the first time and just being absolutely blown away by that frame rate, how smooth it feels and how tight the controls are. It's so responsive and I feel like each uh, ship in the game has a sense of personality about it, you know? Each character as well is so unique and weird. I like how absurd F-Zero is and it comes through... It, so much in this game the the characters are so distinctive and unusual and crazy and there's like 50 characters in this game wasn't this wasn't f-zero gx the one that had uh like star fox's dad in it yeah james james mcleod yep and that continues in this game and he's great there's there's so many weird in-joke characters in f-zero like mr ead who, uh, for those who don't remember, that was the name of Nintendo's like primary like development offices in Japan, uh, Nintendo EAD, and they literally just have a character that's named Mr. EAD, and he's a he's an android who has like a, a star man from Mario on his chest, and yeah, like a bunch of the characters in that game are just like little weird Nintendo in jokes, you know, like James McCloud. I'm trying to think of some other ones. So when did when did you get the game? Did you get it right when it launched? Had you been an F-Zero fan long before that? Yeah, well, I was just a kid when it came out, to be honest. I'm not probably as old as I sound sometimes, uh, the way I talk about how long ago the GameCube was. But uh, I remember I didn't get it when it first came out, primarily because I didn't know there was a new F-Zero game coming out. I guess I just hadn't like been caught up on game magazines at the time. But I remember around like Christmas 2003, I think it was, was uh, around the time it was it had come out. And I remember getting it for Christmas that year and playing it for most of the Christmas holidays after that. And, you know, jolly old times. I remember playing it with my dad. And that's a that's a very distinctive memory to me. My dad does not play video games, but for some reason he was drawn to this game, I think because you know, visually, it's just so striking to look at. There's so much going on. It's so fast. And it freaking hurts your eyes to look at, you know? It's so it's so fast. It's so intense, this game. More so than just about any other racing game I've played. And I don't know. Yeah, I remember playing with my dad. And he, he was enamored with it, just like I was. But I remember him having to pause regularly because, yeah, it's in t it's visually busy and there's so many lighting effects and you're blazing along through these tracks, going through loop-de-loops and going around cylinders and stuff. And, yeah, there's so much going on on the screen at any one time that I, I'm not surprised that I probably gave him some eye strain. Uh, you know, now that I'm a bit older, I find it hard to play it sometimes for extended periods of time because it's so fast that you can't really blink. But at the same time, the this is what's amazing about it, especially for its time. Visually, it is incredible. I, I feel like I'm talking a little too much about the graphics, but I feel like the sense of speed and that 60 frames per second... You know, they complement each other really well, you know. That's a big part of why it feels so slick and so fast to play, is that frame rate. Mm -hmm. One thing that I should mention, 
is the wealth of content is incredible. I, I can't think of a racing game that is this stuffed with stuff to do in it. You have like a, a car creator, you know about the car creator. Mm-hmm. You make your own ships, you can put emblems on them, you can choose the names and stuff and tinker around with the colors and you can i think you it allowed you to like mash together existing parts from different you know existing machines so you could have it's like the original the original rocket league yeah yeah (laughs) building your own cool car Uh uh-huh and of course if you had access to the arcade game one thing that you could do that was really cool because of course they made the ax version the the arcade f-zero game that came out around the same time as f-zero gx you could if you wanted to and i was never able to do this because when i was growing up we never had the arcade machines anywhere but what you could do is you could create your uh your ship at home you could put it on a memory card and then take it to the arcade and play with your machine in the arcade which is incredible there's nothing else like that and what they did with the arcade stuff is so impressive it's so ahead of its time and so bizarrely ambitious for what it was do you know about stuff like the um the the ticket machine thing that they had no i'm I'm not too familiar with uh the arcade machine okay now i know that um nintendo worked with sega on the arcade machine and on the gamecube version and that was, you know, near the beginning of the GameCube's life, I guess a few years uh, afterwards. But why was it such a big deal that Sega was involved? Well, it was a it was supposed to be like a three-way partnership, I think, between Namco, Sega, and Nintendo. And it was, you know, around the first time that anything like this had ever happened. But yeah, this was the start of the Nintendo and Sega kind of bromance coming together, you know, their partnership. And to see them work together on Nintendo IP like this, it was unprecedented. And now, you know, you look back and it's like, you know, they've made so many games together. Mario and Sonic and, uh, you know, Sega has been a long time third party partner to them. But at the time, to see them, you know, invest in them so much Mm -hmm. and create this huge F-Zero game, not just one, but really two arcade cabinets, you know, as well. It was a huge deal at the time. I don't know if you know this, but um, a bit of trivia. Uh, they were also su- supposed to do like a Star Fox arcade machine as well. That was supposed that, that was supposed to tie into Star Fox Assault, but I guess that just never happened for whatever reason. Um, but uh, F-Zero GX was made by Amusement Vision, mm-hmm. which sadly is no more uh, because this, in my opinion is hands down the best F-Zero. There's so much to do in it. The mechanics are nigh perfect, in my opinion. It is an IP with so much personality. And uh, yeah, F-Zero GX is the personification of the F-Zero personality. All the goofy characters, the great music. I cut you off before about the, uh, the arcade version and what made it so special. So tell me about these tickets and things that went into it. Okay, so as I as I remember it, um, I've only seen the smaller version of the arcade cabinet, but I, as I recall, 
there were two kind of models of the of the F Zero AX arcade cabinet. One, I think both of them allowed you to do the thing of the the memory card where you could take your memory card and um, use your save data for your your cars and stuff. But also there was another part of it, another part of the machine which I believe only appeared on some of the arcade cabinets. And essentially, you know, the, this is a small thing, but it's something that I've, I don't really recall any other arcade machine doing. You could get uh, what I, I think it was an F-Zero pilot's license. It would print off like a little card. And es- essentially the idea was um, every time you played the game, you know, you, you, you keep the you keep your uh, F-Zero license card thing in your wallet. And every time you come into the arcade, and play, um, you know, a, a championship. You do a Grand Prix or whatever. Um, if you come first place, you can get the the card stamped by the machine. It will put like a little gold, uh, like stamp, on uh, a part of the card. Huh. And so you you can record your progression, how much of the game you co- you've completed, and what place you you finished at in the races on this little card and so it would stamp through and you know the goal obviously was to complete it Hmm. and yeah it was that was just like a small thing was there anything that you got if you got them all stamped like did it let you play a free game or did you get a free frozen yogurt or anything (laughs) i don't think it went that far but you know i think it was just it was just to show off to your friends how cool you are for having an F-Zero pilot's license <laughs> that's fully stamped. And you can say, hey, look at how good I am at F-Zero. This obscure <laughs> that's game. a good one. Yeah. Good one to, to bring to the bars, you know. Yeah. Hey, check it out. Look, yeah. at my, look at my license. Hey, ladies. Guess you finished. <laughs> guess you came first in the Mute City Cup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's something about that I find so cool. It's so unnecessary. But it's so ambitious and gimmicky, and it's for that reason, it's so Nintendo, and I just love it. Absolutely. So, do you think that GX and AX, you know, that that whole both of those games were just so good that Nintendo just can't can't go back and top it? Is that the issue? Is that why we haven't gotten a new F Zero in fourteen years? Um, I think it might have something to do with sales, but I think it is primary sales, the strength of the IP. These are all factors, but I think that might have something to do with it. You know, F Zero GX is absolutely huge, teeming with content. And all of it just about is great. Apart from maybe the story mode is a bit weird. Uh, I don't know if you ever played that back in the day, the story mode that it has. I think I jumped into it, but I definitely did not get very far. It's um, it's just a linear story with like, I think about like five or ten missions uh, where you play as Captain Falcon. But the story mode is probably the weakest element of F-Zero GX because like, the, the, the cutscenes at the time were quite impressive because they're full CGI. But looking back on them now, they've not aged well. The voice acting is bad. Even the music in them is not good. Uh, the dialogue is... It's all very, very strange to look back on now. And it's so cheesy. I, I've got to believe that it was intentionally cheesy. But man, it's just so weird. That whole story, like the plot of it is really bizarre. It's, uh, you know, he's going up against Black Shadow and Black Shadow basically worships Space Satan. (laughs) But yeah, uh, otherwise, it is such a fantastic game. And I really wish, honestly, that Nintendo would just remaster it, you know, up-res it into HD. 
you're good to go. I'd love to play it on the Switch someday. But yeah, you asking me why I think the series hasn't continued, and I think it is partly due to the you know how the IP is valued. I think if it was so hot and people there was genuine demand for a new F Zero, then Nintendo might have made one by now. But also, I think probably the bigger factor is. It's a matter of nobody has a solid idea of it, you know, of what to do with the whole series. And and that's unfortunate because I think there are a lot of things you could do. I think they could lean into the, you know, the um, user-generated content angle, maybe make it so that you can download other people's ships and maybe you could have track creators or something like that. There's a bunch of things you could do with F-Zero that they haven't explored already. And of course, we've never had an online F-Zero game at all. Mm-hmm. I know that Nintendo, uh, this is, was this was a story I covered years ago. Nintendo at one point wanted Criterion Games to do a new F-Zero. I don't know if you ever heard about that. Yeah, I think I remember that rumor from back in the day. Yeah, well, well that's true. Um, Alex uh, Ward, who was the CEO of, of Criterion back in the day, he told me that. Mm. Uh, and basically, Nintendo of Europe got in touch with him and said, hey, would you guys be interested in doing a new F-Zero? It's for the launch of our next console, or around then, which would have been the Wii U. And essentially, uh. they, were, they were just too busy doing Need for Speed, Most Wanted, I think, or whichever whichever Need for Speed game it was around that time. And so it didn't happen. It was just just briefly, they asked them, and I think they shopped it around with a few other third parties, but nobody was interested. Yeah, but we got it. We got the F-Zero Land in Nintendo Land, right? It's pretty much oh. the same thing. Yikes, <laughs> yikes. Uh, I like, I will, I will, I will defend Nintendo Land, but never that game. Like, how, how do you make an, how do you make an F-Zero minigame and make it that slow? Yeah. It's, one thing that I will say, while we're on the topic of F-Zero, uh, we're talking about F-Zero because it's an F-Zero podcast, whatever, um, I would recommend checking out the F-Zero anime, which is surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been doing recently. I'm doing doing a podcast on the F-Zero anime. It's called F-Zero Falcon Dendetsu, I think, which means uh, Legend of Falcon. And what's the name of your podcast? It's called Falcon Punchcast. Uh, it's kind of oh, been perfect. on a little hiatus right now, but uh, we're going to bring it back. It's going to continue soon. And so, yeah, if you like F-Zero, if you want to hear two guys watch the anime for the first time and talk about it, then that's the place to go. We are kind of subtitle for the podcast is your only F-Zero podcast because we are the only people left on the planet, I, th- I feel like, still talking about F-Zero. It's been 15 years since the last one. But, you know, I'm still out here. I'm, I'm still flying the flag for it. I still love it loads. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and telling us uh, everything about F-Zero GX. And sure. I guess uh, since Nintendo hasn't really re- re-released in any form, I mean, updated or just as a classic form, mm-hmm. uh, the best place for people to get it would just be like eBay or, you know, like a used game store or something like that. Yeah, sure. Or, um... You know, I, we I don't want to condone piracy, but you might just be able to get it on Dolphin now and play it in, uh, in, in HD. I, I don't know if they have it supported or whatever, but, you know, there's no way to buy it officially anymore. So I think it's OK to say that there's no way you, that you can find a new copy of F-Zero mm-hmm. and have the profits go to Nintendo and the developers. The, the development team doesn't even exist anymore. So, sure. you know, I, th- I think until Nintendo releases it through some official 
challenge again. I think that's okay to say that because, yeah, come on, Nintendo, release GX again. <laughs> People want it. It's it's such a good game. And in HD, you know, with that frame rate, it would just look so good, I imagine. So, yeah, make it happen, Nintendo. probably gathered from my conversation with Liam, not much has happened with the F-Zero franchise beyond the release of F-Zero GX and AX in 2003. In fact, 2003 was the last year North American and European fans would get to see an entry in the series, with the Game Boy Advance receiving its second F-Zero game, GP Legend. GP Legend used the same Mode 7 graphics style as Maximum Velocity before it, and introduced some of the attack mechanics from the 3D F-Zero titles. The Japanese version of the game was also compatible with the Game Boy e-reader, another gimmicky Nintendo device I covered in the Animal Crossing episode. Players could scan in vehicles, courses, and challenges, all with the swipe of an e-card. GP Legend was launched as a tie-in to the F-Zero anime, which Liam mentioned in our interview. It ran from 2003 to 2004, with 51 episodes in total, and if you want to learn more about it, I highly recommend you listen to Liam's podcast, which once again is called Falcon Punchcast. The last F-Zero game, the Japanese Game Boy Advance exclusive F-Zero Climax, was released in 2004. Though it reused many of the graphics and music of GP Legend, Climax is thought to be the best handheld entry in the series. The game included a track editor, and its survival and zero test modes were loved by critics and fans alike. After Climax, the F-Zero series was put on hiatus, with the franchise only popping up in games like Nintendo Land and Super Smash Bros. for the next 15 years. It's time for Bonus Stage, the part of the podcast where I give you just a few more interesting details. Interesting tidbit number one. The 2006 Nintendo DS game Star Fox Command has nine different endings depending on choices players make during the main campaign. One of these endings sees Fox and Falco converting their R-Wings to hover vehicles to race in the G-Zero Grand Prix, an obvious reference to F-Zero. Interesting tidbit number two. In the Super Nintendo classic Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, players who wander into Hinopio Mart while in Barrel Volcano will find models of an R-Wing and two F-Zero vehicles, including the Blue Falcon, sitting on a shelf. Interesting tidbit number three. Nintendo released a slew of F-Zero content for Wii U's Mario Kart 8 as DLC in 2014 and 2015. This included two courses, Big Blue and Mute City, and a Blue Falcon cart for players to race with. Players could also scan the Captain Falcon amiibo to get a Captain Falcon outfit for their Mii. All of this content was included in the Switch release of the game, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe.
Challenger Approaching is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Ben Bertoli, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our opening track was created by chiptune composer Brandflakes. His music can be found on YouTube under the handle Brandflakes325. All the music samples used in this episode are the property of Nintendo. Special thanks to Liam Robertson for coming on the show as our expert. You can follow Liam on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Cupcakes. If you have comments or suggestions for the podcast, or feel I left out something terribly important, feel free to tweet at SuperBentendo or shoot me an email at HeyBertoli at gmail.com. Challenger Approaching will return next week with a new gaming history lesson, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere that fine podcasts can be found. See you soon!